Welcome to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, Senior Pastor of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. Our mission is to provide practical application of biblical truth to help you experience true purpose and lasting change that can begin now. Here's Pastor Russ. We're going to jump in now, uh, continuing our series on who is God. We've been looking at the attributes of God. And um, as we've been going through this, I don't know about you, but it's been very beneficial uh, to my walk because as I'm studying and learning the magnitude of what some of these attributes really means, it changes how I even view my own life because without even realizing it, we can minimize the attributes and the character of God to fit our understanding and we we don't even realize we're doing it. But when we get God, when we, put, we take him out of that box again, take him out of that understanding and let his word declare who he is, it affects us. It affects how we see, it affects how we hear, it affects how we pray. It affects every dynamic, every element, every area of our life when we understand the, the true nature of God. And these are big concepts, right? They're big, but they have to be applicable also. So God revealed himself for a reason. It wasn't to brag. It was so his creation would know. That they would know. That they would rely upon him. And that they would seek him with all that they are. Because there's none like him. Because he is I am. There is no other. We are his creation. And so today we're looking at a word or an attribute. It's called his omniscience. He's omniscient. God is omniscient. And some of you, a lot of you may have heard that, know this. And that it's, it's defined as a state of having total knowledge. It's the quality of knowing everything. But this is not like the know-it-alls in your family. <laughs> that claim to know it all, but... They, half of it they're making up. <laughs> or they really don't know. This is really an all-knowing, all-knowing. See, when we say God is omniscient, we mean that he knows all that there is, all that there is to know. There is nothing that is outside the scope of his conception, understanding, or attention. Let's just let this sink in for a second. The God you serve knows everything right now. Like everything. He is not limited in his knowledge. He is on the other side of knowledge, meaning there is nothing for him to learn because he created knowledge. Like it, it, we really actually can't totally ever understand that because we are not God. So we have to receive it and accept it at some level. Also, this is what his omniscience means for us or for him. God cannot increase, you cannot increase a knowledge that is already insurmountable. God is not learning. He's not like, we don't even understand what that means. We are always learning. Even experts in their field are still learning and gaining knowledge. This is our life. Like we we are in a constant state of of always learning, always growing in understanding and knowledge. God is not. He knows everything. There is nothing that is a a surprise or discoverable about you, about the universe, 
about history, about the future. There is nothing outside of his scope of knowledge. Probability does not exist for God. Think about that. Probability does not exist. We live in a world full of probability, maybes. With God, all things are or are not. There's no maybe. There's no maybe. We are full of probability. Our whole life walk is about a probability. We can't be certain of anything. But God is. And the side note, if God places something in you that he has called you to something specific, in God's mind and understanding, it is. It's not a maybe. Well, prob- I'm going to put this in Russ. Hope, I just hope this works out. I don't know. It is. And see, as we begin to understand the nature of who who our God is and that he knows everything, when he has placed something in you, that means that he knows in how to navigate you through all things, even through your free will, to make that purpose come to life. Because it is. It is. It is. There's no maybe. We live in a state of, what if, or maybe... Well, probably, that probably will happen. I'm not sure. See, we don't know any different. But yet with God, he's totally different. And so it's hard for a creation to even ascend into a place where you can even totally understand that. You see, there's no potentially infinite realities. We live right now in a world that where religion and spirituality is all about different realities for different people. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. You know, so, but there's only one reality. And he knows all there is to know about that reality. But yet we live in the world and even ourselves, we, we, we can live in a state of different realities. And sometimes the reality of God himself changes for us. But God is constant. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He's omnipresent. You see, everything about God is consistent in the same because he knows everything. And his reality is the only reality. Keep going. God is neither surprised by the way the world works itself out nor shocked by the choices we make. That's a big one. I'm setting this up because this is really going somewhere in terms of what it should do for us. God is not shocked. God is not shocked or surprised by anything that is happening in the world. He's not shocked by anything we do or decide, no matter how sinful it is. He is not shocked or surprised. He knows everything. Well, just let that sink in. He doesn't live in the moment. Though he does, he lives outside of time and space. We can't even comprehend or grasp that. But yet he chooses to be in the moment, but with full knowledge. If you look at Isaiah 46, 9, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring, boldly declaring, that's what it, boldly announcing the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. This is God revealing himself. This is the grand scope of things. This is the big picture. He knows 
everything. But we need to accept it as truth because it affects in how we see ourselves. In Matthew 10, 29, he knows the big picture, but look at the detail he knows about us individually. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Think, who's heard that God knows the numbers? The number, he's counted the hairs on your head. This isn't hyperbole. This is the nature of our God. He knows the number. He has counted the hair on your head. And there's a joke there, but I'm not going to make it. <laughs> he knows when that count decreases <laughs> or increases. But no, guys, what's just, can, can we just stop, think about how would you even begin to count? Like, think about, he knows the number of follicles. He knows, the, like, he knows it. He knows everything about the universe. He knows the beginning from the end, but yet he knows the hairs on your head. He has them counted. And he's always adjusting the count when one falls. Nothing is outside his realm of knowledge. Nothing, you all. We have to remind, this is huge to understand. This isn't just some happy little thing that we say, oh God, he, he counts the number, on my, the number of hairs on my head. He knows me so well. It's actually kind of damning in a way. When we truly understand that he knows everything because he's omniscient. Psalm 139.1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it. Ever had one of those moments where you wanted to say something that was just on the tip of your tongue, but you didn't? He knows it. He knows it. He knows the thought behind it. He knows where it originated. He knows it. You have hedged me. Behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Can we just let this sink in for a minute? What this is saying. Your God knows every single thing about you. Every single thing. And so let's look at one. First John 3.18. This is when we have to start to apply this knowledge. It says, my little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, uh, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Meaning as you begin to live out the word, it is testimony to the work of the spirit in you. And there's an assurance that God is with you and working through you and sanctifying you and changing you. And how you are loving people, and how you are doing life, and how you're seeing people and hearing people. And it brings an assurance. But sometimes I think all of us know we may be doing something on the outside, but on the inside we're thinking some crazy things. Now, watch what he says. For if our hearts condemn us, anyone ever been there? Anybody? 
Meaning your thoughts, when your thoughts condemn you, and why would they condemn you? Because you know the right to do, but you can't do it. When your hearts condemn you and say that God has rejected you, he has removed himself from you, he has taken his love away from you because of this thing internally that you are struggling with, he says this, for if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Because we, again, put God in a space, in, in, in our time and space, and we forget that he knows everything. That when we were still dead in our trespasses, he died for us. He knows every single thought you will have from the beginning of your existence till the end. It's been taken care of. He knows all things. And when we begin to condemn ourselves, we have forgotten the perspective of God and believe that he is surprised with us. Instead of trusting that in his all-knowing, his omniscience, he created a plan of restoration so that we could have confidence of his presence always with us. He knows everything. And this is huge. Because we live most of our lives in our heads. The sin that we struggle with often is within us. Bitterness and unforgiveness lives within us. Right? Yes, it is exercised. It manifests itself in different ways. But ultimately, the thoughts that we think are known to God. And when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, it was always the fact that he knew their hearts. They couldn't hide. Yes, outwardly they looked righteous, but inwardly they were filthy. They were corrupt, and he knew. So right now, you see, God knows everything about you. And so Isaiah 55, verse 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, thank the Lord. My, nor are my ways your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, this is when condemnation comes into play. This is when we live a life that is not reflective of Christ as we treat other people. Because often we want God to act according to our own thoughts and ways, and thank God he does not. Often we feel our thoughts say we should be condemned. God should give up on us. God should give up on me. He should just leave me alone because I'm a failure. But his ways are higher and his ways always consider the whole picture of the whole all knowing picture. He sees all of you. And therefore, that's why his ways can be higher, so much higher, because he sees the whole picture. We never see the whole picture, nor will we ever. And so we have to lean on the omniscience of God and his and we're going to see on his goodness, because without both working together, we would be hopeless. And so we have to couple this, this huge knowledge of God knowing everything. Because when you realize you can't hide, you can run, but you can't hide. Like he knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. That's a horrifying song for children if you really think about it. But our God knows everything. 
And I think when we can really comprehend that, we can understand how good we really are not, though we try. But yet God is also gracious. He's gracious. If he wasn't, there'd be no hope. There would be no hope. Because all of us had fallen short of the glory of God. There is none good. But he was gracious. Graciousness is different from mercy. He's also merciful because mercy withholds a punishment that we deserve. Right? So mercy says, I won't punish you for the thing you need to be punished for. And so as Jesus came down and walked this earth, the whole reason he came was to take our punishment. It's like, what? And that's the punishment for all of mankind. Everything that we see that we are horrified and disgusted by and absolutely repulsed by Jesus and God knowing all things came down and took the punishment for that. This is how gracious he is. This is how merciful he is. And because of that mercy, because punishment has been taken once and for all, there is no more sacrifice left for sin. And because of mercy, he is able to pour out his graciousness to us. Because grace gives us a blessing we don't deserve. And that's only because of the mercy. So in all of his knowing, in everything that he knows about you, he paved the way. He created the way so that he could pour out his graciousness upon us and bless us despite us. And there is never a moment that we deserve it. Ever. We are never better than the person next to us because he sees all of us. But yet he continues to bless us. And it was his plan that he orchestrated. And we've talked about the goodness of God. You see, God is good. And he is loving and he is merciful and he is gracious. He is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us as our sin deserves. And God is so gracious, you all, that there's a thing that's called common grace. And that means it's what the world lives under because he allows people to live. He doesn't have to do that. All the world gets to enjoy the benefits of his creation. All the world gets to wake up with a new day to live with air in their lungs. He doesn't have to allow that, but he does. But then there's the grace that's poured out on his people, the ones that have received his mercy and received mercy and grace saying, I need it because there's no other way. And those he blesses us. He blesses us undeserving. He blesses us with, first of all, let's look at this, forgiveness. Because punishment was taken, he can offer forgiveness. You see that? Punishment was taken so that he could forgive. Because he's a God of justice. You have to have all of it working together. He can't just dismiss it. His system is there has to be justice. When a wrong is done, a right has to be done. It has to be made right. That's called justice. And so he took justice upon himself. And therefore he can forgive the things that deserve punishment and justice. And so 
Ephesians 1 7 says this in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his what grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence and understanding the only way we can even enter into this relationship is through his grace it starts there by grace we have been saved it's a blessing we don't deserve but he's able to offer it because Jesus Christ Jesus Christ endured our punishment. And God said, now I can extend to you grace and forgiveness if you're willing to accept it. And he makes that, he extends that to all of his creation because his his heart is that none should perish. But yet there's going to be many that reject it. They're going to reject it. But that's not his heart. You see, grace began all the way back. His grace began all the way back in the garden. If you look, let's read this next scripture. It says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So all of us are just, most of us know what happened in the garden of Eden. They ate the forbidden apple. This is the one thing that God said, stay away from. But as they ate the apple, all of a sudden there was a recognition now. Sin entered the world. They disobeyed. God could have killed them on the spot. He could have. But what did he do? Where did the tunics come from? Animals. How did he get their skin off? He killed them. That was the first sacrifice. And he covered them. He covered their sin. God, in his omniscience, knowing what would be done, knowing, 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 he established a system in which he did not destroy, but he extended grace. And the reason he was able to do that is because then he had to pour out justice on these poor little animals. And then he established the law, which was just a picture of things to come, of better things to come. Let's look at Hebrews 10, 1, 4. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come. I love that. Of the good things to come and not the very image of the things. Can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then they would have not ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness of sins if they were really purified. But no, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. See, it was not the perfect system yet, but it was still God's graciousness, but it didn't take away sin. It didn't take away sin. Atonement literally means to cover up. It literally just covered up the sin. But it never removed it. There was never any hope of truly being righteous before God. There was always a reminder why there was this separation. There was always this constant reminder that I can never fulfill the law in my own strength. I can't do it. So every time there was a sacrifice offered, it was a constant reminder. But yet God was gracious enough to implement a system that allowed them to survive. (laughs) And again, it wasn't the blood of... The animals that atoned for the sin as much as it was God utilizing that system, but it was his graciousness that forgave. 
And then the faithful men and women would offer these sacrifices in faith. But again, it was not the perfect gift. There is a better gift to come because our God is so good. He is so gracious and so all-knowing. Because he decided to bless us with sanctification. That means to make holy. That didn't happen in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. It simply atoned. It covered up the sin. But it did not make the believer holy before God. How good is God? Watch this. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire but a body you have prepared for me. Do you understand? God was not pleased with, with the sacrifice. He was like, oh, yes, imagine if every time my kids mess up, they had to bring to me an animal that I killed. Do you think I'd be happy about that? Oh, I'm so proud of you. Give me that guinea pig. <laughs> Just got to make the visual. It was worse than that back then. Bring me the puppy. This is what happened. But this was, this was, God wasn't pleased in this. It's the system he established in his all-knowing nature. He knew the sins of the people, and he wanted to be gracious. So he established a system in which atonement could be made. But that wasn't his ultimate goal because, goal because he's so good, he wants to restore us. He wants to actually purify us and make us holy. He doesn't want sacrifice. That's just a reminder of how sinful we are. No, he wants a transformed people. And so, in the burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Whose will? God's will, because he's gracious. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you do not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law that he gave. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first so that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Do you see how gracious he He knows everything about you. When you were still dead in your sins, he died for you. He knows every single thing you will struggle with and say and do. And yet he declares you holy because of the blood of Christ. He has removed the sin from you and made you a new creation. Do we deserve it? No. You see, the old just covered it. But we have the, new, we have the hope of now really being new and set free from sin. Like the, if, you, if you've ever colored your hair. Right, if, whatever you know, a different color, or you know, want to cover some gray. Every time you go back to cover it, it's a reminder that you're still gray. You ain't fooling anybody, right? Because it's not changing you; it's just covering it up. That's what atonement was like. It was a reminder of who we really were. But in Christ now, we have been made holy. So our reminder, because of Jesus, despite all that we know about ourselves, we could come and say, "Lord, I am holy." I am holy because of your blood. I am holy because of your spirit in me. 
You have declared me holy and righteous because of what Jesus did. And now I am no longer that. And I have the hope of living differently because I'm empowered by the spirit that you've placed in me. And that is another part of his graciousness that he has deposited his Holy Spirit within us. That's real hope. So you see how this just cuts legalism off at the knees? You can't earn it because he knows every mistake you'll ever make. Well, I'm really happy with this, Russ. Good job. You're a lot better, and you've earned, you're a lot better than anyone I know, and you have earned your right standing before me. Even though I know the millions of other things you're doing, this one thing guarantees that you're good. It's ludicrous. He knows everything. I mean, I can't even. This can't, I can't, it's just, it's too big to comprehend. Because he also has blessed us with forgiveness. He's also, uh, reconciliation is the third one. Sanctification was the second one. Now, reconciliation means he is established. He's brought back a former state of harmony. So he's forgiven us. He's declared us holy. But now he's restored us to the way it was supposed to be. Because of his graciousness. He has brought back harmony between himself and his creation for those that take his sacrifice and know it's their only hope and make him Lord over their life. You see, it restores relationship. It brings it back. And this is even knowing everything you're going to do to betray that relationship. I'm telling you, see, God came into the world knowing everything. Let's just, let's just say, I'm going to say, I just want to get it. Here we go. God knows everything. Let's say you could read my mind and I could read yours. Would you want that? Would you want me to know? Would you want me to know everything that you think? Would you want me to know? Would you want me to know? I want to, you would leave the church now. You see, if we truly knew the heart of each of us and how we process and how we think and what we would really want to say to each other, you see, what would it, it would drive you more what? Apart. We couldn't handle it. God says, I know every thought, every word, everything of all mankind, what they will do, how they'll reject me, and I'm going to come towards them. What? You see how we can't even comprehend that? He goes, not only am I going to come towards him, I am going to literally take the punishment upon myself for everything you're thinking, everything you're saying, every sin that will ever be committed, every betrayal. I am taking the punishment for that so that men can be reconciled back to me. That's a good God. That's a gracious God. And we can't minimalize his grace. And we can't minimalize his omniscience because they have to go hand in hand or else it detracts from the grace. And we think somehow we've earned it. And we have not. It can only humble you. Colossians 1.19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of Christ, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you what? 
What? You deserve that? One more time. Please say it boldly. Because if you think you deserve it, we, got, we need that conversation. To present you what? And blameless and above reproach in his sight. Who did that? Jesus did. And that's knowing every single thing about us. Guys, it's when this knowledge explodes that revival happens. We have missed this. We have minimalized this. And somehow in the routine of doing church, we have forgotten what it really means to be a child of God. What it really means for a God to be forgiving. Because we forget that God sees everything and he is offended by it because it's sin. But when we get this, we can't help but glorify God, right? You can't help it because you know how unworthy you are. So do you see how this is good news? And why he says boldly approach the throne of grace so you can receive help in time of need. And often that time of need comes from the thoughts that you're having. It comes from the condemnation that you're wrestling with. It comes from your weakness. It comes from your, it comes from all this struggle. And what you do is you separate yourself because you're condemning yourself because God just knows too much. There's no way he could possibly love me, but you've been blessed with his reconciliation. You've been blessed with his forgiveness. Bless you, man. One more time and there's no more bless yous. I'm just joking. I always say that. Twice is good, three times you're done. Because I'm not gracious. Nicole's dad would sneeze without five times. First sneeze, you know four more are coming. So you just wait to say bless you. So obnoxious. It was like, I don't know what it was. It sounded like a Sasquatch. Why am I going? I just see, see, my brain is a scary thing. (laughs) So again, one more. He blesses us with abundant life. He blesses us with abundant life. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more what? Abundantly. It's superior. It's a superior type of life because we have the love of Christ in us because of his graciousness. And the love of Christ never fails. And though life may fail you and though life may come at you and throw curveballs at you, though loved ones may disappoint you, God's love with you can turn anything into life and life that transcends the circumstance. Because the circumstance, I can't promise you will ever get better. But God can redeem you and restore you in it and grow you and bring you life. Why? Because He's gracious. He's gracious. And we have that confidence because Jesus paved the way. We did not. So you see, oh, this is good news. It's great news. So chomp on this little this week. Especially when you notice and recognize your thoughts. And go, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you knew I was going to just, I, was, I thank you that you knew I was going to be a bonehead today. 
And yet, I'm I'm holy. I'm holy. I'm blameless. And you're with me. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. It's too much to comprehend, but Lord, we just receive it and thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And Lord, we thank you for what your grace means for us. I pray that this word stick and manifest within us in a way that changes how we're dealing with circumstances, that changes how we're praying, that changes how we believe in terms of your love towards us, Lord, that we are liberated by this truth and can boldly proclaim your goodness. Lord, we need to be awakened, and I pray for the Spirit, your Spirit, Lord, the Holy Spirit, to awaken us to this reality so that we know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, help us to not be complacent. Help us to get out of routine. Help us to see our lives as purpose-driven to declare your goodness because, Lord, it's the least we can do. Lord, we love you. Father, we love you. Jesus Christ, we worship and adore you and we submit our lives to you and we receive your love and your grace and your mercy. You've been listening to Applied Faith with Pastor Russ Falachi, an outreach of Christian Church of Broomfield, located in Broomfield, Colorado. To contact Pastor Russ, visit his website at russfalachi.com. That's Russ, F-A-I-L-L-A-C-I dot com. Thanks for listening. And remember, an alive faith is an applied faith.